Well, God always provides, doesn't he? And uh, you don't always see it coming, and you don't always know where it's coming from, and you don't always know when it's going to come, but he always provides because those songs about the king and about his faithfulness to take care of his people, and I think we can all testify to that, can't we? And uh, God is so good, and uh, good all the time, as we say, and sometimes (coughs) we take his goodness for granted, and we shouldn't. Uh, We really shouldn't, and so... uh, Let's not treat God like a parachute. You know, if you get into an airplane and you see a parachute, you don't go, yay, right? If I were getting ready to go to India and I got on one of those, uh, uh, you know, a 727 or whatever I get on, and I go in there and they hand me a parachute, I'm getting off, (laughs) right? Uh, That's the kind of thing that I'm sure they have those on planes, I guess. I don't know. And I would be glad if they did. I just hope I never have to use it. Do you know some people are like that about God? I'm glad he's there. I just hope I never need him. And they don't realize how desperate they are for him uh, all the time and in every situation. And the same thing is true about a lot of things in our Christian life. It's like we have them marked and they're under glass and it says for emergency use only. You know, and so when things get desperate, we take the little hammer, break the glass, and pull the lever. And uh, then we wonder why our lives are not uh, stable. And why we wonder why we... uh, Sometimes, spiritually, there are some people... I may be talking to you, I may be talking about you, and I don't mean anything bad about this. But we probably all know some people who spiritually, it seems like they're always walking on ice. They're always walking in loose gravel. They're always walking in quicksand. And it's hard to walk right. It's kind of funny whenever you see people walking on ice and everything. They kind of walk like a penguin, don't they? And it's not a good thing. And you hope you don't ever have to run or anything like that. And then you see them do a little dance, you know. And then you find out (laughs) Baptists really can't dance, can they? Just watch them on ice. And uh, that kind of thing. And we're going to talk about that tonight. And there's a thing that David says. We're in our third message in Psalm 37 where we're talking about getting the big picture. We're short-sighted. The Apostle Peter said in his epistle that um, if we don't have the virtue and goodness and all of those things that I never can remember, a whole string of things. He said if you have those things, then you'll be neither barren nor unfruitful. And then he said, those who lack these things are short-sighted, nearsighted, myopic, even to the point of blindness. In other words, you're stumbling around, tripping over things, walking into things, right? And he said, having forgotten that your old sins were purged. You don't have assurance of your salvation. And so that's why the Bible constantly tells us, as we went through the book of Titus, that we not only trust in Christ for salvation, but now we're rich in good works. That's why the Bible says in the book of James, faith without works is dead. Now, works won't save you, but works are the outgrowth of our life. But you know, you can be busy, and you can be working... And um, you can work kind of in a stupid way, can't you? You can do some unwise things. Uh, Let's say that you have in your house a wall that you want to remove, and you've been watching TV, 
And uh, Chip and Joanna just go in there with a sledgehammer <coughs> and they knock it out. And you go, well, I'm as smart as Chip Gaines, right? And so you go in there and you say, and my wife is as pretty as Joanna, so let's go get it done. So you just start knocking the sheetrock out. Then you start knocking the studs out, only to find out it's a load-bearing wall. Uh, we have one of those in our house we'd like to take out, but it's a load-bearing wall, and it's like, I eh, can't decide if it's worth it or not. And a guy was cleaning our carpets, and we were talking about it, and he said, you know what, I've been thinking load-bearing walls are overrated. <laughs> Isn't that kind of funny? He's joking, of course. And I said, oh, really? He goes, yeah. He goes, just take it out. It'll open up that room. It'll be good. And he said, and besides, you've got a really high roof. He said, it won't hurt it if it comes down three or four feet. You know, Well, that's kind of the way a lot of people are in their spiritual life. Things are uncertain. They're unstable. They never quite work out right. And they're working really hard. Like if I went into that place, uh, into that, that wall that I'm talking about, and you were watching me with a sledgehammer, boy, I'd be working up a sweat and I would be working hard. But see, hard work that is stupid doesn't produce anything. So you got to work smart. You got to know what you're doing. And there are a lot of times when we learn about the works of God and we can see those things, but we don't know the ways of God. And all through the Bible it says things like, show me your power, show me your... Well, that's great. But then the psalmist and Moses and other people would say, show me your ways. Because I don't just want to know what you do, I want to know who you are. That's the ways of God, to trust Him. And so as we go to Psalm 37 and we look at verse 27 now for our third message here in getting the big picture, notice he says, depart from evil and do good. Those things have to be linked together. And dwell forevermore. For the Lord loves justice and does not forsake his saints. Somebody say amen to that. They are preserved forever. But the descendants of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell in it forever. And that's literally about Israel and everything. Verse uh, 30. The mouth of the righteous speaks wisdom, and his tongue talks of justice. The law of God, the word of God, the principles of God is in his heart. And none of his steps shall slide. He's not going to slip. He's not going to stumble. He's not going to trip over things because he's walking in the light. Verse 32. The wicked watches the righteous and seeks to slay him. But the Lord will not leave him in the wicked person's hand. Nor condemn him when he is judged or when he is on trial. Now, the world may condemn you, people may condemn you, friends may condemn you and turn on you, but the Lord doesn't. And I find a lot of comfort, a lot of, a lot of peace in all of that. And so um, I've taken this little section out of this psalm, and as we talk about the life of the righteous, what does that life look like? And it may be some of these things you're going to readily see and go, yeah, well, duh, anybody knows that. And then uh, there may be a couple of things that maybe you haven't thought about. Because I'm afraid that a lot of people 
think about a righteous life as a life free from problems, free from trials, free from attack. Oh boy, if, you're, if I'm really righteous, the devil won't attack me. Well, that didn't work for Jesus, did it? Because he was perfectly righteous, and yet the devil did attack him. We think that if we're really righteous, then things will be smooth. I'll have plenty of money. I'll have health. I'll have a lot of great things going. My family will be intact. All of that will happen. And we do readily admit that if you will live according to God's principles, things are going to go a whole lot better for you. But think about Jesus again. The only one who is perfect and righteous did anything right, and yet he suffered, and he suffered horribly. It's a part of life while we're here on earth. It's a reminder that we're not home yet. It's a reminder that we're not yet finished with everything. And uh, one of these days, one of these days you're going to enter a place where you'll never have to worry about that again. And boy, that sounds really, really good at some times. And other times it doesn't sound all that great. And God's got your life designed to where if you're not really thinking about heaven and thinking about eternity, he can change that pretty quick. Change that pretty quick. And then those times when you are thinking about eternity, he can make it a whole lot sweeter than it really is uh, in your experience right now. I mean, I may think about heaven and I may think, well, at least it's not hell. And the Lord says, oh, it's so much sweeter than that. It's so much better than that. It's not just the alternative to hell. It is that land that is fairer than day, the old hymn says. It's, it's that land of peace. It's that land of rest. It's that land of beauty. It's that land that is uh, untouched by sin. It's a place free from the devil and his demons, free from people who would try to harm you and hurt you like the wicked do in, in this particular psalm. I mean, uh, the Lord will take you and he'll set your mind on things above where Christ is. And that's really the beauty of heaven. It's all about Jesus. And uh, we have this tendency as humans, don't we, to seek after the blessing rather than seeking after the blesser. To seek after the gift rather than to seek after the giver. And we need to remember that the blessedness that we talk about in the Beatitudes and all of that, that's the result of looking to Jesus. It's not what our focus is on. We don't want to focus on, give me the blessing, give me the blessing, give me the blessing. We want to say, give me the Lord, give me the Lord. Let me walk with him and in his kingdom and under his rule. And then the blessings are the byproduct of all of that. We get the cart before the horse, so to speak. Now, when we talk about living a righteous life, David is going to tell us here, first of all, that a life, a righteous life, now this is strange, a righteous life now is a life of continual repentance. Now, I kind of had it in my mind that a righteous person doesn't have to repent about anything because they are righteous. Until I think about the fact that there is no one that is righteous, no, not one, the Bible says. So in the world is he talking about here? He's talking about a person, not a person who has performed righteously or has gained or attained righteousness on his own. He's talking about someone that has been given righteousness by the Lord. And so the Lord takes you at salvation. You were over here numbered with the unrighteous. Now you're one of the righteous ones. But the truth of the matter is you don't always live in a righteous manner. But because the Lord loves you and because he's working on you, he paddles your bottom sometimes, doesn't he? There are other times when he allows you to 
experience the consequences of your stupidity. You know, we've done that with our kids. Don't do that. That's going to hurt. That's going to mess you. And then they do it anyway, and uh, they learn. Sometimes they learn from the pain. Well, you and I sometimes learn from the pain. He just allows us to go ahead, and we're so stubborn we do it. And then when we do it, and go, well, that's going to leave a mark, and we never forget it. Do you have any scars on your body from something stupid? <laughs> yeah. One that... Uh, um, it's kind of faded a little bit, but uh, for years I could find it. It had to do with a, with a hatchet <laughs> and a finger, you know. And I just did something dumb, and there it is. There's a mark. And you know what? I never did that again. Never did that again. You learn from some of those things. And, I mean, isn't God good? Sometimes he lets you learn from your own mistakes. Now, it would be better if you weren't so stubborn. But if you're going to be stubborn, the Lord is good. <clears throat> to let you learn from that. And some of us are hard, any hard-headed people in here? Any stubborn people in here? You know, sometimes it's uh, a wise man learns by instruction. And we go, eh, I don't want instruction. I want experience, baby. And that leaves marks. Yeah, hurts. And uh, God is good. He's not mad at you. He's not kicking you when you're down. He's wanting you to learn and to live a life that is wise. And live a life that is righteous. Now notice how David says here to those who are righteous. Because this whole psalm is about the contrast between the righteous and the wicked. And here's what he says to us. Depart from evil and do good. Now isn't that interesting? Those two things are always linked together. Because you never can repent to neutral. You can't repent to nothing. Repentance means to turn, doesn't it? So here's the way I'm going. Wham, boom, tripped up, fallen, hurt. Ah, and the Lord says, are you ready to listen? Yes, sir. Turn around. Repent, in other words. And so to do that, I turn from this to this. You always repent from something and to something. And so the Lord says, depart from evil <coughs> and then do good. You're turning from one and you're turning to the other. So you're not turning to passivity you're not turning to neutral you're not turning to apathy and man i was having so much fun over here in my sin no you weren't not if you're saved maybe for a little while but not for long right and when you turn you turn to joy you turn to peace you turn to something positive because you're turning from evil and now you're going to start doing good and that's what has to happen. It's a continual life of repentance. Because you are in pursuit of God and you're not good at it. You're not perfect at it. You mess up. There have been some times when I thought I was following God and I ran into a trap. Because I'm not always smart enough. And I hear people say, well, I just followed a voice that I recognized. You know what I figured out? The devil's a good ventriloquist. Okay? He doesn't come up and say, Hi, I'm the devil, follow me and I'll lead you into a pit. What he comes and he says is, This is God. Follow me. Trust me. I've got a wonderful plan for your life. And then he leads you into a pit. So you've got to be ready for those kind of things. That's why we need scripture and not just intuition. That's why we've got to follow what the Bible says instead of voices that we think we hear. 
Because you never know when the enemy is going to be tricking you by sounding like God, pretending to be God, or manifesting himself, as Paul told us, an angel of what? Light. See, it's hard. And so what happens? I take that step. And this is why I think the Lord in his prayer, he said, lead us not into temptation. In other words, not that the Lord's going to lead you into it. That's a kind of a fancy way of saying, lead me away from all of that. Lead me away from temptation. And then he says right after that, and deliver us from evil. You know why? Because even good, righteous, godly, Christ-following people, they get off track. And they fall into the pit that they can't get out of. And that's when we need the deliverance of the Lord. Okay? Lord, you got to get me out of this. Because I can't get myself out of it. And that's a constant thing of repentance. It's every day. Maybe it's multiple times a day. And we learn from those things. And we grow in those things. Because that's the plan of God while we're here on earth. One day we'll be free from all of that. But not yet. Not yet. Don't get ahead of yourself. And so it's a life of continual repentance, turning from something to something. And when it says, and dwell forever, well, is that a thing about heaven? Or is that simply somebody saying that um, in a Jewish sense, if you will live and honor God, you and your descendants, your family will be in this land forever. You'll be here. You won't be kicked out. You won't be taken captive. You, and that's really what the Jews wanted. They wanted to be in the land, and they wanted to possess the land, and they wanted to stay in the land, and they wanted that land to continually be given to their descendants, on and on and on. It was very important to all of them. So I think that's a picture for us. What does that mean if we were to say, dwell in the land? Well, what land do I get? How does that work? Well, it's a picture. The Old Testament many times is a picture of New Testament concepts. Somebody said that the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. And we see that. And there's a picture in there when you see the Israelis as a slave in Egypt under Pharaoh. That's a picture of us being lost and in bondage to Pharaoh or the devil. And then our Redeemer, our Moses, the Lord Jesus, brought us out of that. And, uh, and the Red Sea, a picture of baptism and identification with the Lord and His power. And then we're in the wilderness. We're on our way. And some people have said, and some of our old hymns say, you know, that we're in a wilderness down here, but one day we are bound for the promised land, right? Oh, who will come and go with me? I'm bound for the promised land. And the picture of that is heaven. But is that right? Well, I noticed that when the Israelis, when they got there, there was a choice to enter or not enter because that first generation said, nah, not so much, and they didn't go into heaven. Do you have any choice about going to heaven? To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. There's no choice involved there. There's no angel that's going to wait and say, you want to go? Nah, I think I'll just stay here and hang around and be Casper or something, right? You don't get that choice. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. Okay? So that doesn't sound quite like heaven. And then when the Israelis got into heaven, uh, uh, Canaan, the first thing they had to do was march around Jericho. The walls fell in, and then they had to fight. 
and you find them having battle after battle after battle. You think when you get to heaven, you're going to have to fight to get in? You think you're going to have to fight anybody where you're there? I sure hope not. I'm sort of tired of fighting. Right? And then the Israelis, when they got into the land, they were told, if you don't obey me, God said, I'll stop the rain. I'll allow people to invade you. And if you don't repent then, I'm kicking you out. And you'll be held captive by somebody else. Can you imagine? Oh, I'm going to the promised land. That's heaven. i got to fight to get in. I better be careful or I'm going to get kicked out. I mean, isn't that a terrible picture of heaven? Yeah, it doesn't fit. You see, Canaan, the promised land, is the picture of the abundant life. And you know, if we will depart from evil and do good, we can live in the blessings of the abundant life instead of living in the wilderness. Now, there's nothing wrong with the wilderness if you are supposed to be there. There was a point where Israel, they needed to be in the wilderness to get to the abundant life of the promised land. And you're still going to have battles in the abundant life. And you're still going to have trials and all of that. It doesn't mean that it's bad. It just means that you've got to get there. And then once you get there, you want to stay there. And you and I are in a continual fight with our flesh and with the world and with the devil to stay living in the land, in the abundant life of Christ. Because it's amazing how quick you can experience all the goodness of the abundant life. And then it seems like, what happened? What happened here? And uh, we don't want to be thrown out of that. So this is a picture. Dwell in the land and dwelling in there forever. The Lord has an abundant life for you and for me. Does that mean that's free from battles and I don't have to do anything? No, they had to work. They had to plant crops. They had to harvest crops. They had to fight off invaders. They had battles, they had land they had to conquer, but they were doing it in the power of the Lord and doing it in joy. It's a picture of the abundant life. That's the first thing, continual repentance. If you think that when I get really righteous and really right with God and living the abundant life, I won't have to repent anymore, you're kidding yourself because you're not anywhere near that perfect, nowhere near as sanctified as you ought to be. So kind of, you know, this is David saying, hey, Righteous ones, get over yourself. You're not all that. Okay? And that's a good thing. We humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord and we'll be lifted up. Okay? Secondly, a life, a righteous life is a life of reliance on the character of God. Now, right in here at the first of verse 28, the Lord loves justice and does not forsake his saints. Now, that kind of reminds me of an all-knowing God. A God who is in the courtroom and when the, you know, the defendant comes in and swears to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. You know, sometimes in our court systems, um, well, sometimes the guilty don't get punished as they should get punished. Would you agree with that? Sometimes they go free. Sometimes they're off on a technicality. Sometimes they're off because... You know, maybe something wasn't done just right, or um, maybe the arresting officer didn't say something just right. I mean, sometimes it's just ticky-tacky, silly stuff. And then there they are, and they're going free. And we look at that, and we say, how can that be justice? The other day, they had a thing about a man who had been in prison for, I think, about 30 years for a crime he didn't commit. Can you imagine 
three decades of life stolen from you? And that means somebody was going free who was actually guilty. And that meant that a person who was not guilty was paying the price for all of that. Man, that would stink. And I know that, you know, those people will get a lot of money and there'll be lawsuits filed and all of that. But how much money would it take to get three decades of your life back? That's sad, isn't it? But those things happen here on earth. Now, here's the deal. The Lord, as he judges, here's the thing. He doesn't need a jury. And he doesn't need a prosecuting attorney or anything like that at all. You know why? Because he already knows. And he knows who's guilty. He knows what you've done. He knows what they've done. He knows what's going on. He knows. He doesn't get fooled. He doesn't get tricked by a clever attorney. He doesn't uh, uh, have a technicality that throws the case out of court or anything like that. He knows. And I looked at that and I thought, that, that's kind of nice. That's kind of nice. He knows. He loves justice. You know, we say liberty and justice for all. Well, that's a great goal. But we hadn't attained it yet. But in the Lord's kingdom, yeah, that's, that's, that's what happens. And then I thought, that next thing it says, he does not forsake his saints. Why did he put those two things together? Well, here's where it is. Here's where it comes down to um, the reality. He knows you better than you know yourself. Because the Bible says we can deceive ourselves you ever been self-deceived the Lord knows and knowing everything he knows about you to the motive to the thoughts to the intent of your heart and he doesn't abandon you you see you've got some friends that if they knew the real you They'd be gone. They'd be gone. There are some marriages that everything's wonderful until they find out the real person that they're married to, and they're gone, right? There are times when you vote for a politician, and then you find out who they really are, and you go, I'll never vote for that person again. Those kind of things, right? You find out, and then you leave. Other people find out about you, and then they leave. And here's the thing, the God who knows every single detail about you doesn't leave. Let that sink in. I think David could have put a Selah right there. We need to stop and think about that. All of those ugly, wicked, carnal, selfish, mean thoughts, God doesn't leave. All of those actions where you knew what you should have done and you shouldn't have done and you did it anyway, and he doesn't leave. All of those times when he commanded you and you knew what he wanted you to do and you just weren't going to do it. Defiant. Rebellious. Shaking your fist in his face, as it were, or worse. And he doesn't leave even when people like Jonah said done out of here and they ran you know what Jonah found out he may have run from God but God didn't abandon him it's amazing isn't it and uh, you may be uh, heading out on a ship somewhere and you find out that God sent a storm your way 
and you went overboard, and then lo and behold, God had a whale right there to grab you. And you go, you know, where's the goodness of God in all of this? Well, Jonah had to have transportation from where he was to where he needed to be. And they didn't have submarines then, so God just said, I do. And so there he went and got him and took him. And then where did the whale spit him out? Right where he needed to be. And I, I look at that and I see not the judgment of God, I see the goodness of God. Because if God had been like us, he would have said, go. Go. I don't want to see you again. I don't want anything else to do with you. Jonah, you're running from me. Have at it. C.S. Lewis said that the lost person lives their life saying, leave me alone. And hell is God giving them their wish. Abandoned in hell forever. But here's the good thing about those who have trusted Christ. And we don't have a righteousness of our own. We have what theologians call an alien righteousness. It comes from somewhere else and from someone else. It's the righteousness of God through Christ. And you know what happens? He says, I will never leave you or forsake you. And we could probably add, even when you deserve it. Or further, even when you want it. God's not going to leave you alone. He's not going to abandon you. And he's a just God. And a God of justice should abandon us. But because he's also a God of mercy and a God of grace, he doesn't. Somebody say amen for that. Because I've given him lots of reasons, lots of reasons to walk away from me. And he doesn't. The Lord loves justice and does not forsake his saints. Preserve forever. Now, the descendants of the wicked, they're going to be cut off. They're going to be gone. But the righteous shall inherit the land. There we go. That land metaphor, that abundant life metaphor, and dwell in it forever. So think about all of those kind of things. Think about the Lord and his love and his grace. And notice that uh, he uses the word descendants in here. Okay, that kind of blesses me, but it may not. It may not. Oh, Lord, I'm praying for you to do something great and powerful and needed in my life. Okay? And then the Lord says, I'm going to answer that prayer in your descendants. Well, that's kind of okay because I want them to be blessed, but what about me? I want it now. You see, God doesn't always do things on our timetable, does he? And I was thinking about how many times... In the Bible, there were things that were promised and then fulfilled in descendants. Abraham has promised the land wherever the soles of your feet walk. And uh, this is where your descendants are going to live. Oh, by the way, Abraham, after about 400 years of slavery, they're going to get it. Right? There's kind of a gap. And uh, we don't always see it. And sometimes I pray for things and I kind of say, I want it. And I want it when? Now, and God says, I'm going to answer that prayer, but I'm going to answer it in your great-grandchildren. Uh, that kind of blesses me, and it kind of doesn't bless me. You're looking at me strange. Some of you can't help it, but you're just strange. <laughs> but you know what I mean on that? Are you getting it? And so he says this about this person. You're a righteous person and your descendants are going to really get the benefit 
of your life and of your prayer and of the seeds you've sown, of the things you do, they're going to benefit from it. There's an old Chinese proverb that says, one generation plants the tree, the next generation enjoys the shade. It's kind of the way it is, isn't it? We need to be doing that. In, in one of the Psalms, it talks about going through the valley of Baca where there's desert. And what do they do while they're walking through there? They dig a well so that the people coming behind them will be refreshed. It's kind of the way our life is. Are you digging any wells for the people that are coming behind you? It may not benefit you. It's hot work. It's still dry. There's no water in the well yet while you're digging, so you're not getting anything out of it until you finally strike water, and then you move on. But boy, the people that come behind you sure do get refreshed by all of it. Are you digging a well? Are you planting a tree? Are you thinking in the big picture about that thing, descendants? Because it's going to be fulfilled in his time. Moses, you know, um, he took the children of Israel from Egypt and then got to the brink of the promised land. But he didn't get to go in, but his descendants did. Joshua um, went in and Caleb went in and that was kind of cool but you know there were still a lot of things that were going on and a lot of promises unfulfilled and the 11th chapter of Hebrew makes mention of that that a lot of people they, they didn't see the full fulfillment of all of the promises not yet Israel has been promised a king that is going to rule the world well they hadn't got it yet have they and we think about all of these things that we see in the Bible that uh, God doesn't change, He doesn't forget, He doesn't compromise, and all of that. And uh, yet things happen in the midst of all of this. The Roman general Titus, not the guy that the Bible book is named after, just a guy who happened to have the same name. He came in and destroyed uh, the city of Jerusalem, laid siege to it, and then leveled it. And uh, that was in A.D. 70. And it wasn't until May of 1948 that the Star of David was raised above that again. That's a long time. But even in the long times, in the dry spells, God doesn't forget His Word and God doesn't forget His promises. And that ought to give us hope. He's faithful. Great is thy faithfulness, we sang, you know. Day by day by day, but also decade by decade, century by century, and millennia after millennium. God is faithful and he will fulfill all of his word. And the righteous, well, we just have to remember that because this is a God of justice. He's always going to do what's right, and he doesn't abandon us even when it might feel like he has. And number three, a righteous life is a life of wisdom. And notice that it says here that the mouth of the righteous speaks wisdom, and his tongue talks of justice. Why? Because he's Speaking like God does. And how does he do this? Verse 31, because the law of God, the word of God, is in his heart. And because of this, none of his steps will slide. When you look at a person who is truly righteous, and they're living and walking in righteousness, and uh, they're continually repenting of their sins, uh, you know, and all of that like we just talked about, they're, they're feeding on the Word of God, and the Word of God controls the way that they talk. If you have the Word of God in your heart, you're going to talk differently than other people do. Uh, we live in a vain and profane and ugly and nasty, nasty world. Uh, I'm just barely old enough that I can remember when women didn't cuss. 
I can remember when men did not cuss in front of women. So for all of the feminists out there, you wanted equality. Well, you know, don't complain now when you get treated like a man. Men cuss in front of other men. Men talk dirty in front of other men. Men do all of that kind of stuff. And now it's like no difference. Well, isn't that kind of what the feminists wanted? And yet they sort of complain about it now. Be careful what you ask for. You might get it. You might get it. And, uh, you know, if you want to be treated like a man, that's, that's a rough world. It's a rough world. And I suspect most of you here tonight, you ladies, you'd really rather not be treated like a man, right? And uh, you enjoy the difference. And uh, I got a feeling most of the men here tonight, we say, viva la difference, right? You don't want to be married to somebody like you. And uh, our wives make us better, right, guys? And I'm looking at all of this and thinking that uh, the wise person, the, the, pardon me, the righteous person, when he opens his mouth, he speaks wisdom. His tongue talks of justice. Why? Because the law of the Lord is in his heart. And as a result, none of his steps, he, he's stable. He's stable. He's not slipping. He's not walking on ice. He's walking on solid ground. You know, the Bible tells us that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? And then in Romans chapter 3, in verse 13, it says, Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. Anybody ever lied to you? Anybody ever given you a crooked business deal? Anybody ever given you a guarantee that didn't work? A promise that failed? I mean, that's the way the world works. And it says, the venom of asps, that's a snake, is under their lips. But then it says this, their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Why do people cuss? Because they're bitter in their heart. So whenever you hear somebody use foul language or the Lord's name in vain or to damn something and all of that, I want you to think about that in light of these verses. They're showing themselves to be a fool. Showing themselves to be a fool. Because the righteous person speaks wisdom. And also have compassion on them. Because the reason they can't control their tongue is because they speak out of the abundance of their heart. And what did Paul say is in their heart? Bitterness. Life has been hard. Life has been cruel. Things have happened to them that they didn't plan for, that they didn't want. Things have turned in a way that they can't handle. And they're bitter. They don't repent. They just get bitter. And they're filled with bitterness. And they're filled with anger. And you know what comes out of their mouth? Cursing. We think about that. And the difference is, for you and for me... Wisdom comes out of our mouth because we're filled with the Word of God. This is the way we talk. This is the way that we act. And what is the result in all of that? Well, our feet don't slip. 
wisdom and justice, the word of God, and the practical effect. It gives us stability in our lives. And a lot of people are looking for that stability. And that's why they marvel at you. How do you hold it together? How do you handle that? How did you not react like that? How did you keep from doing that or saying that? I don't think I could do that. Well, we're under the control of the Holy Spirit. And we are fed by the Word of God. And our hearts are stayed upon the Lord. And what happens? Things come out of our mouth that are actually wise. And then some things don't come out of our mouth, even when we might want to, because the Holy Spirit says, nope, 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 nope. Put that back where it belongs. Get rid of it. And we've got to deal with the bitterness and everything from the heart. And that's what Jesus was saying when he said, if you hate someone, you're guilty of murder. Why? Well, I didn't murder them, Lord. Well, well, good for you. I heard somebody say one time, well, I guess if you're thinking it, that you might as well do it. No, it can get worse. Deal with it from the heart. And that's what Jesus is really saying. It's not enough just to live your life changed so you don't do anything wrong. Jesus wants to liberate you so that your heart is changed and you don't really want to do those kind of things. But it's going to take a while. And it takes a long time. And the Lord disciplines you and the Lord teaches you. And that's what uh, David is talking to us about here. Getting to the point to where our mouths speak as a reflection of our heart. And what's in our heart? Justice. The Word of God. And what happens when we do that? We're able to walk in stability and in peace and people say boy you're just lucky luck has nothing to do with it it's the grace of God and it's the power of God and it's the word of God who can take an old ugly deceitful nasty wicked heart remember what Jeremiah said and he can put goodness and graciousness and justice and peace into that heart and your words don't get you in trouble Your words don't back you into a corner. Your words don't have to remember what lie you told last. Everything comes out that is a blessing to the Lord and to other people. And your foot doesn't slip. Okay? It's good stuff, isn't it? Number four, a righteous life is a life of victory. Gosh, I guess a life of victory doesn't have any problems or any trials or any temptations or any mess-ups. No, no. It says in verse 32, the wicked watches the righteous. You know, it's uh, interesting. Sometimes you can't tell the difference between uh, people that are church people and people that are not church people. Oh, but isn't it interesting here in verse 32? Lost people sure know. They can sure tell. And if you ever want to know, you know, what should a Christian do and what should a Christian not do? Just ask a lost person. They'll tell you because they know, right? Christians, should a Christian smoke? Ask a lost person. You know what they'll tell you? No. <laughs> should a Christian be getting drunk in a bar and all of that? You know, and we debate it. Oh, I can't figure it out. Don't want to be legalistic. Just ask a lost person. They'll tell you. They know. Because even though they may try to entice us or make fun of us or pressure us into those things, they're the ones that turn around and condemn us whenever we do those kind of things. They don't really say, "At a boy." They say, oh, I thought you were a Christian. Some Christian you turned out to be. You know, That's what they do because they're watching and they really do know the difference. And they expect you to be different 
even if you don't, we try to blend in and camouflage. Uh, they really do expect us to be different. And I'm going to tell you something else that I've learned. Lost people may not like you, but they respect you if you're true to your convictions. You know what I've seen? Men on the job, and they kind of act like everybody else and talk like everybody else, and they're incognito Christians. Oh, my goodness, I just thought of Wayne Robinson. He used to tell me, he said, Pastor, I'm walking around incognito. <laughs> he was funny. Some people try to be camouflaged. I just kind of blend in. I don't want to make anybody uncomfortable or anything like that. And let me tell you something. Whenever that person that makes fun of Christians and hates Christians and hates God and all of that, when they have trouble in their marriage, they're not going to come looking for the camouflage guy. They look for that guy they made fun of. They look for that guy that they can't stand. And they come around and they say, hey, you're a Christian. Can you help me? Can you pray for me? And we want to live the life that marks us. The wicked watch the righteous. Well, can they even tell that you're righteous? I suspect they can. I suspect they know the difference better than we do because they know how a Christian ought to live. And seeks to slay him. I mean, they'll do anything they can to cut you down, to shut you up, to silence you, you know. Can you imagine what the Pharisees and Sadducees thought when they got rid of Jesus, crucified him, and he's finally dead? They lay him in a tomb and they go, finally, finally, no more of this, no more of his word. The Gaithers wrote a song one time. And they talk about him as he was uh, put in the tomb. And they said, there, that should take care of that. And then there's silence. And then the piano starts. And then it goes, but it didn't. Can you imagine? And they, that's what they're doing with you. Trying to shut you up. Trying to shut you down. Trying to nullify you. Trying to get you to where you don't matter. But they can't. And what happens here? is it says, the Lord will not leave him, the righteous person, in his hand. Let me tell you something. Every once in a while, it seems like the devil wins. Every once in a while, it seems like unrighteous people win. What's going on? No wonder they ask the question so often in the Old Testament. Why do the heathen prosper? Lord, why are you allowing this to go on? And David's old enough now as he writes this. I mean, he's writing this in old age, remember. And he said, and here's the deal. The Lord is going to get you out of this. He will not leave you in the hand or captive to the unrighteous. It doesn't mean you're never captivated by them. It doesn't mean you're never trapped by them. It just simply means this. The Lord is going to rescue you. He's going to take you out of it. He will not leave you in there. Well, I thought a victorious life was when I was never going to be in that. No, there are going to be times you're going to be attacked and you're going to be trapped and you're going to be cornered and you didn't see it coming. You're not an all-knowing being like God is. But you know what the Bible says? He's not going to leave you there. Whew, that's good news. Not going to leave me there. This is temporary. The trials are temporary. Soon I will be done with the trials of this world. I'm going to be with God. It's the way it is. And then it says he's not going to be, we're not going to be condemned when we're judged. So you notice that even in the victorious life, there are trials and there are threats that come up. You're not in heaven yet. And victory only comes with a battle. 
See, some of us are trying to get a purple heart without being wounded. It's not possible. Some of us are wanting to get a medal of valor when we haven't picked up a weapon. Some of us are trying to wear the uniform with all of the decorations. Remember when my dad was in the hospice and I put on Facebook the picture of all of his medals? A lot of you commented on that. A lot of people came by and they wanted to see them. Hey, they don't hand those things out like candy. Right? He had two purple hearts and he had the scars on his back to show them why he had them. And some of us are trying to be victorious without fighting a battle. Okay, now let this sink in. You do not get victory without a fight. And you're going to get wounded. And you're going to see other people wounded. And it's going to be hard sometimes. And you're going to get so tired of picking up that sword. You're going to be so tired of having to use that shield. You're going to want to take that helmet off because it's hot and it's miserable. And you're going to want to try to get out of that armor or take your shoes off and, and put your feet in a, in a creek. You can't do that in the heat of the battle. And so if you want the blessing, you got to have the battle. And the battle determines the blessing. The hotter the battle, the bigger the blessing. And the greater and the sweeter the victory. To the victor belong the spoils. But you got to fight in order to be a victor. And so if you think the victorious Christian life is, I won't ever have any fights, you're kidding yourself. Victory means there's a war. There's a battle. And somebody's got to win. And God has designed that you would be the winner in the victory of Christ. And sometimes... The enemy wins a battle even though they're going to lose the war. But God said, even when they may win a battle, when they may trap you, I'm not going to leave you in their hands. Praise God for that. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one because the Lord is not going to abandon his people. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So it's not that the righteous are perfect. They are attacked and sometimes defeated. They are, however, always delivered. Somebody say, praise God for that. He is going to deliver us. So as I think about that, um, I thought about January 28, 1945 and the liberation of Auschwitz. Look at those people. What are they doing? Yeah, they're happy. They're happy because when you get delivered, you're happy. You talk about it. You celebrate it. It's a good thing to be delivered, right? So some of you need to quit talking about all of the times when life hasn't gone the way you wanted it to go and start talking about the fact that God didn't abandon you even when you deserved it and that God always delivered you and you need to remember that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. I get so tired of people acting like the devil is sovereign, that demons are sovereign, that all of this stuff is going on and God just can't do anything unless we do everything right. Are you kidding me? The Lord is the one who is sovereign. And the Lord is the one that even when we're in our troubles, Paul said he delivers us out of them all. 
Why? Because Jesus is praying for you even tonight. He knows what you're going to walk into. He knows what tomorrow holds. He knows where you're going to mess up. And all of your sins have already been paid for. And you have a Lord who is watching out over you. And a Lord who puts his hand down. He goes, "Mm -mm, no, not that way. And he pushes you the other way. There are some doors, I don't care how hard, how how many crowbars you have, you're never going to open them because God says, nope, nope, we're not even going there. And there are other times when you say, I want to go there. And he goes, well, go ahead. And I'll be there with you. And I'll get you out of it. And you're going to learn a great lesson. And my prayer is that we will learn the lesson sooner rather than later. Right? My prayer is that we will have such faith in a just God who is always with us. That when he says something like 2 plus 2 is 5, we go, wow, the math books were wrong. You see what I'm saying by all of that? Where our faith will be so great that nothing will deter us because we're walking with the Lord. And when we don't, we continually repent, don't we? Because God's always willing to forgive and to set us back where we need to be. And that as we began to walk with him and understand him, we'll trust in his character. He's a good God. He's a just God. He doesn't abandon his people. And as we understand that, and as we're living that way, we become so wise, so full of God, and full of the word of God, that everything that comes out of our mouth is from the abundance of our heart where Christ lives And instead of cursing and bitterness, we're filled with blessing and instruction. And not only do our feet not slip, but you know what I learned? If I'm sure-footed, I can help somebody who's slipping. But if I'm slipping, we're in trouble. One time we had an icy parking lot out here, and Sammy and I were walking, and I said, Don't hold on to me, Sammy, or we both go down. That won't do any of us any good, right? But you know what? If I'm sure-footed, hold on to me. We'll be okay. And God wants you to be so sure-footed because you're walking and talking in wisdom and justice that you actually have the stability in your life to reach and grab somebody else who has fallen or stabilize somebody who is slipping. Can you say amen to that? See, that's wonderful. And then you realize that a life of victory is not a life where you just lay down and take a snooze in the sunshine. A life of victory comes because you put on the uniform, you picked up the weapons, and you face the enemy. And maybe sometimes you got nicked by a bullet or wounded. Maybe you got some purple hearts, but you also have victory. And that victory is always the deliverance of God, which brings great joy and celebration in your life. That's all I got. Okay? Does that encourage you? I hope it does. hope it does because that's real life. That's real life. And that's the life of the righteous. And we'll finish up this psalm next week, you know, and go on. But, boy, it's one of my favorites. One of my favorites. A lot of promise and a lot of hope in Psalm 37. And that's your hope because of Jesus Christ and because of his grace toward you. Okay? Let's go to the Lord. Father, we uh, sometimes get a misconception 
about things like wisdom and justice and victory and all of that. And we think that if we're really righteous, we've got, we've got everything right. And it dawned on me as I was studying for this, the ones who thought they had it all right, they were called Pharisees. And Jesus condemned them. We don't want that kind of stuff. We want to be the kind of people that continually see our sin. We see it in the light of the Word of God and in the light of Christ, knowing that the only reason you show us our sin is not because you want to discourage us or put us down or anything, but we mourn over our sin in order that we might be comforted, that we might be blessed. And you are bringing us into greater blessing than we could even imagine. Now, if we follow the ways of the world, it promises a lot that it doesn't deliver. A lot of famous people, a lot of wealthy people are very, very, very empty people. And yet you told us that we could have a different life. And we thank you for that. But, oh, Lord, we don't just simply seek that we might be different and that we might be better. It's not really about that. It's about us honoring you because you are our king. Thank you. You are a good king. And you are worthy of our praise. You are worthy of our submission. And so we gladly fall at your feet. And we gladly say, wherever you lead, I'll go. So help us to learn from this tonight. Help us to apply this tonight. And help us to walk without slipping. Help us to walk in stability. Not only for our own sake. for the the sake of others who have no idea how life works. Now, Father, as we look at our newsletter tonight, we've got people going through various trials. We've got people who need prayer. We've got people who need wisdom, people who need strength. And um, this isn't on the prayer list tonight, but I understand that Rosanna Garrett's mother is just clinging to life tonight. May you have mercy on her and comfort for all of the family. We think about people, Lord, as they go through physical trials, emotional trials, and then, Lord, not to mention the spiritual battles that are not listed on the prayer list tonight. And Some, maybe even sitting in this room, are going through the most intense battle they've ever had in their life. As they try to walk with you, as they try to follow you, and the enemy is making things rough on them tonight, I pray that they'd press on, and I pray that they would keep their armor on, and I pray that they would stand in the day of evil and having done all to stand, so that one of these days when the dust settles and the smoke clears, they find themselves standing and the enemy running. I pray that you'd bring them into victory. From victory unto victory, His army shall he lead till every foe is vanquished and Christ is Lord indeed. That's what our prayer is for our church family, for those on this list, and for ourselves. Jesus is Lord. Thank you for that. And it's in his strong name we pray. Amen.